Welcome to Reaganomics with Blaze Reagan, a show focusing on practical business talk and common sense politics. Today we have as our guest George Levesque, executive director of the Paramount Theater, former news director and anchor at K-Texas, radio personality, DJ, sports talk show host, and McMurray <laughs> alum. Welcome to the show. <laughs> I like that title. That's good, Blaze. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this, is, this should be good. Um, don't screw this up, but uh, it should be good. <laughs> so... There's a couple of areas that I really wanted to talk to you about, uh, mainly, obviously, the, the Paramount Theater is a nonprofit, so kind of how you run, run a nonprofit, I think, would be very interesting, very educational for the listeners, um, but then also the, the film industry and how we kind of jumpstart the film industry here in Abilene um, or increase it, and then where you think the direction of like films and theater is going kind of in general, but um, jumping into the, let's, let's talk a little bit about films here um, with your background in pretty much everything. I mean, you've got theater, you've got uh, movies, you've got radio, news director at K-Texas. Um, how do you think business owners should approach advertising? That's a lot of my questions for guests, but also I get that question a lot from clients of, how should I be looking at advertising? With your background, I thought it might be interesting to see what your thoughts are. You may be more on the other other side of advertising up until running this nonprofit. But how do you, if you're advising a business owner on how they should allocate their budget or how they should think about which medium to advertise, off the top of your head, what do you think you would say to someone? Obviously, it depends on the business, but Correct. in general, what would be your kind of feedback? How should they approach advertising? You need to identify what kind of business you are. Are you somebody who needs to work on your image? Are you image ads? Are you, we are Stovall Realtors, and we do this, and you just need to see our logo and understand who we are and what we do? Mm -hmm. Or are you event-based? Are you, you need to come to this concert. You need to come get my special at lunch. You need to come do this. Mm -hmm. You need to identify what you are. you image based or are you event based? Do you need them now? Right. Um, so for us and our advertising image really doesn't work. Um, of course our image is very important and what people think of the historic Paramount theater is very important, but ultimately what we need is, excuse my language, butts and seats. So if we're going to show that film, we need you to know that that film is coming. We need you to hear it enough times to where you pull the trigger and buy the ticket and come in and sit and, and really buy popcorn because we don't make any money off the movie. But mm -hmm. those are the kinds of things that we need to, to, to do. So if you're event-based, uh, an event-based business or nonprofit out there, what mediums of advertising you're saying you should really be doing these? Does that Flexible. mean it's TikTok? Flexible. Does that mean it's radio? Does that mean it's billboards? What, yeah. is that, what does it mean? I think any one of those things can work. Um, <clears throat> I'm old enough to remember when it was easier. <laughs> you know, when I, when I was a kid uh, 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 in Colorado City, Texas, we would get in the morning the Dallas Morning News, uh, Saturday and Sunday the Dallas Times-Herald, seven days a week the Abilene Reporter News, three days a week the Colorado City Record. Mm -hmm. And those four newspapers were there. They were read every single time. Right. And we knew what was going on. So if you put an ad in the newspaper, and I'm not picking on the newspaper business, but if you put an ad in the newspaper in the 1980s, probably 60, 70% of the people would see your ad. Mm -hmm. And now is there any kind of form of media where 60, 70 people percent of the people are going to see it. Maybe if you buy a Super Bowl ad, you get 30, 40%. Yeah. Uh, 
I can't think of anything else. So it becomes very difficult. And how do you advertise becomes a really different question nowadays because getting the word out is about you being your own media. Just like you, Blaze. I mean, you've got this podcast. uh, You have a social media presence. These are all important things. And I think that, I think 20, 30 years ago, um, a university was concerned with what kind of coverage were they getting in the newspaper and with the TV stations. I'm not saying they're not, Mm -hmm. but right now I think that same university is concerned with how much content are we pushing? How many subscribers do we have? You know, all those things matter now. And it's unfortunate because there's so much more work, but you need to be your own media. Yeah. When you do have, I guess the flip side is you do have more control over it for, for, a certain extent, you are pushing it. You are pushing out what you want. It's not, you know, 1980s, a reporter doing a story about you that you don't want out there. Now it's typically, all right, I'm pushing this content where you get in trouble is people, let's say, misinterpreting whatever you're pushing out, but it is, or being offended by whatever you're doing, but it is your choice to push out content now. And it's kind of how people take it is up to them, but you do have a little bit more control. So for you guys, since you're event-based, um, do you look at, and this, I have this conversation with a lot of clients. Yeah. Obviously the, the maxim is know your customer and it's, you know, okay, is, is my ideal customer. I could, yes, I want, you know, for the theater, you guys could take anyone, you know, a paying customer, whether they're 18, whether they're 55, whether they're 82, it doesn't matter. Male, uh, female, um, you know, black, white, doesn't matter if they're a person, they're paying, they're in the seats. Great. Um, but do you guys look at, okay, who is our ideal customer, whether it's age or gender or whatever it is, and then kind of target it and go, okay, well, our target, I'm going to make up a number. Our target is a 45 year old, uh, male. Um, and so then we go, well, what is a 45 male? How are they getting their news? Is it TikTok? Is it reels? Is it radio? Is it TV? And then you go and kind of target that ideal customer, uh, yeah, maybe you'll get some outside people as well outside that ideal demographic, but that's really your bread and butter. Or how do you guys approach that's advertising? A great question. And in old times, I would have a different answer for you, but I work at a nonprofit. Mm. So our goal is completely different. So our goal is not to have an ideal. Do we have an ideal? Yeah, probably. Mm. There's probably a certain select group of people that love to come to that theater and come all the time. And we continue to program for those people. But our mission is how do we get other people in there? And if you look at our film schedule the last two, three years, what you're going to notice is specific black films are on the on the movie list. Mm. Hispanic films are on the list. Latino films are on there. We want to appeal to every age demographic, right. every ethnic demographic. Our theater should be a theater for everyone. Mm-hmm. And being a nonprofit, we get to be that way, which is beautiful. Right. So we get to sit in here and go, we're going to program. This last play we did had a lot of F words and had a lot mm-hmm. of cussing. And it appealed to a great audience that came and really loved that movie. Before that, it was Hello, Dolly that we produced, which really appealed to an older audience who remember when Barbara Streisand was strutting across the screen. And that was a very clean cut. And it had a great crowd of completely different people. And then we showed Encanto in the Mm -hmm. middle. We had a thousand people walk into that movie theater in one screening and about 40 to 50 percent were Hispanic. So we mm-hmm. sit there and go, how do we appeal to different? So if we're getting right. the same people all the time, we're doing something wrong. And that's 
again, very different than I think a lot of the business people that are tuning into your podcast because we're a nonprofit and because mm. our goals aren't the same as a regular business. If that makes any sense. So on advertising, do you, and, and I, I feel like it, it translates to regular business somewhat because, oh, we have a different product or, oh, we're doing a, a mower and now we're selling a weed eater sure. or whatever. And so different products will maybe go to different people or, you know, Walmart may be selling different products that'll appeal to different people. But, um, so how do you, do you guys advertise and how did you decide on the mediums of this is what we're going to do? do yeah. So flexibility is really important for us. Okay. Uh, and I would say that the three biggest uh, areas that we spend money on now, and we have done some TV, we mm -hmm. have done some radio, but the three biggest things that we do right now are social media. We spend quite a bit on social media. I probably about a thousand a month mm. uh, that we spend on social media because the, the menu changes, you know, every yeah. week it's, well, this movie, well, the next week it's a different movie. The next week it's a different movie. How do you need that flexibility? Social right. media affords us that flexibility. Yep. Digital billboards. We have now three or four years in a row that we're purchasing digital billboards. Again, flexibility. Mm -hmm. I can reach out to my guys at Lamar and go, here's the new uh, images and they run for a week and they will pop, put, put them up typically within an hour. And okay. that flexibility is important. And then the that third thing that we do <clears throat> is, uh, is constant contact or, mm -hmm. you know, there's what is it? The monkey chimp, chimp, uh, mail oh, chimp. emails and stuff yeah, like that. Emails. Yeah, yeah. So constant contact, you know, again, we're a beloved building in this. We're iconic in this town. Right. So there are people that, that want to sign up and want to know what we're doing. And so we try not to abuse that, but we try to give them information about what's coming up. Mm -hmm. And that's really big because we have about 14,000 people that are tuned in and subscribe and they want to know. That costs money, by the way. But yeah. we have to reach out to those 14,000 people and go, boom, concert's coming your way. Here it is. And then we follow up with everybody who bought a ticket. And we say, you bought a ticket to this concert. Here's where to park. Here's the mm -hmm. bar menu for tonight. Here is uh, what time the door opens. Here's what you need to know as far as what you can carry into the building. Right. And we send those emails out afterwards just to that specific segment. So mm -hmm. uh, email communication is happening all the time. Social media communication is happening all the time. And it's boosted, at least if it's about an, if it's about an event, it's, it's typically boosted. Right. If it's not, it's not. You know, if we're donating chairs to the Curtis house, that's not something you you, you right. spend money on, but it organically uh, is good for your image, Yeah, as far, as, at least uh, as far as Facebook goes. Do, uh, digital billboards, I've had some interesting discussions with the Lamar people because I think for most businesses, and I'm glad you, you pointed that out, for most businesses, I don't see the value in uh, digital billboards because you as a business, you know, say as a law firm or a brewery or whatever, I am paying more for an electronic billboard uh, for a much shorter span to be up there, eyeball wise. Right. But you pointed out a great a great point in that if you're an event based where you are constantly changing less than every month or two, that would be perfect. So that is a great that is a great point where digital billboards can be great for a certain type of business, and and I think you fit that criteria very well. Um, Here, here's you know. the, here's how it works as far as we're, we're we know, mm -hmm. and that is and I'm a big metrics guy, mm. and what here's what happens. The movie is, is coming out. It's Mean Girls. Well, right. the first time you see it, you go, oh, Mean Girls. And the second time you see it, maybe you pay a little more attention. It literally takes 10 to 15 times of seeing that ad before you go, you know what? 
We ought to go to that. That's going to be fun. Right. We should wear pink and head up there and get a mimosa and go watch Mean Girls at the Paramount. And it's not the first time you saw it. And you may have subconsciously have seen that ad 10 times. Right. And that, to me, is where social media and those digital billboards work, Blaze. Yeah. Because they see it. And it, it helps set that pattern. And then they finally get the constant contact email that has, here's the trailer, here's the info, here's the ticket link. Yeah. And maybe, we, hopefully, by the time they get that, they're ready to make that decision and push the button. Yeah, trying to make it as easy as possible. Yeah. So a lot of reinforcement. I think uh, billboards are good reinforcement uh, advertising with, with brands, but also with events as well. It's just good reinforcement. I typically don't tell clients, hey, if you have a limited budget, billboards are typically not your only advertising route that you want to go. I would say if you've got a good image, you've got other advertising, and then billboards are a great way to reinforce that or to do like a one-off. But I, I don't typically recommend, hey, if you can only advertise in one medium based on your budget, billboards probably not the route you want to go no. in general. But It depends uh, on what you need to say. But yeah. You can't say much on a billboard. Yeah. If you've got more than eight or ten words up there, Nobody saw it. Yeah. So, you know, it's going to be more effective the fewer words that you have on the billboard. Yeah. If you can get away with five or six words up there, that's effective. But it's also not really effective about getting a, a you know, a complex message across. Yeah. Or to get them to really just click on that link. You want to make it easy as possible. Billboard's not going to happen. No. One of the, the last point on, on advertising is, um, um, again, looking at your ideal customer and your niche, I would say... Phone books have gone have gone away for the most part. I think I still see them every now and then, but for the most part, no one uses them. But for the longest time, I would still advertise in them because my ideal customer was the last demographic that would actually read a, a phone book. And so just because it wouldn't work for any other attorney or any other business in Abilene, I was in that niche where this is actually good for me. Uh, and so I would just tell the listeners out there, you know, look at your ideal customer and then say, hey, it may not be sexy. It may not be cutting edge technology or the newest advertising way. But man, if it's actually reaching that demographic that you need, use whatever you've got. So it's much sexier these days to advertise on TikTok or, or whatever, but that's not going to, you know, I don't advertise on TikTok because it's not going to reach my demographic. Yeah. But uh, so it's all about knowing your customer, I would say. Um, so let me just look at some of these other. Uh, so you've we can jump to the, the theater because I feel like that's your... How long have you been the director at the Paramount now? Uh, four years? June 1st, 2018. So, 2018. yeah, four and a half years. Okay. So, what was the... Uh, when was the Paramount renovated first? 1987. So, it was built okay. in 1930. It was a 1,500-seat theater, which, by the way, is the stupidest ever business decision in Abilene. Because it was a 1,500-seat theater. In 1930, the population of Abilene was 18,000. I like their optimism. That you know, was they, optimistic. They, was those it were not, go-getters. It's beautiful that they did that. <laughs> and it made sense. You know, they built that gigantic Wooten Hotel. Mm. It was right there. People got off the train. They walked two blocks up to the Wooten. It was, you know, the tallest building for a brief amount of time between whatever it was, you know, uh, El Paso and Fort Worth, I yeah, think. Yeah. And, you know, it was an iconic kind of thing. They came there, and there was this iconic theater right there, too. And apparently, back then, they did not have in-room HBO at the hotel. That is surprising. Yeah. Huh. So, you would go to the movie theater next and door. And get your HBO there. That's right. You go huh. see your film. You go do your thing <laughs> next door to the theater. And thank God they did it. But that theater really didn't have its heyday uh, until the 40s. Camp Barkley. 
Mm. Um, you had suddenly, you know, at the time, the population of the town was, you know, 40, 45,000, but you had another 50,000 at the base. Right. And they had nothing to do. And nowhere in town could really accommodate that many young men. The theater could. And that was the heyday. It was packed all day long because people were coming in to see films. Um, and and, and we're, we're just so lucky that that place is... I mean, I just don't know how Abilene understands how lucky they are to have that, that place around. It is it's, amazing. It's amazing. Outside and inside. Inside is really what gets me. Just the every time I'm in there, the the uh, I don't know how you guys describe it, but I always see it as like the the inside sky. It's always called an fun. atmospheric theater blaze. Uh, there are 100 left in the world that are still in use. Uh-huh. Uh, now, some of them are parking garages. I don't count that. Uh-huh. Um, but there are 100 left in the world. You know, Cuba... Australia, Europe, most of them in America. Hmm. So what happened, you had these things called Nickelodeons that came out, right? They were nickel, five cents. Odeons is French for video. These Nickelodeons came out and people would go see them and they were in the back of building warehouses and it would be dark and they'd show a little film. And the poor people, that's who went and watched these movies. So for middle class and rich people, movies were looked down upon. So somewhere in this cusp of time between 1920 and 1934, they started building movie palaces. And it was a really short cusp of time. These gorgeous palaces, the Majestic in San Antonio, the mm-hmm. fabulous Fox in Atlanta, they're, they're all over the place. But these were supposed to be incredible so that if you were a rich person and you went to go see the opera, you could go to a similar type theater and mm-hmm. be sit there. There'd be a valet taking you, you know, an usher, excuse me, taking you down to your seat. Right. It was impressive. They tried to make movies in art form and it worked. Huh. It worked. But there was a real small cusp of time when they had to make the theater sell the movies. And then it didn't uh, take long after that that, well, movies just took off and there were theaters everywhere. And yeah. they could get away with a black box. Because when did we get talkies? 1930. No, so, okay. or 29, excuse me, 1929. So the, the Paramount was under construction during silent movies. And it was okay. designed for silent movies. That's why there's a stage there. There shouldn't be a stage in a movie theater, that but the stage sense. was there so you could have a band. Those turrets on either side, you know, yeah. those big yeah. turrets, they're hollow. Chances were they were meant to be for pipe organ. But 1929, the silent, the silent movie died overnight yeah. when talkies came out. I mean, overnight. Two weeks later, they were pulling them from the theaters. Hmm. And so they probably did the same thing at the Paramount. On the fly, they went, there's no point in putting in a pipe organ. By the way, we're also in a depression now. Yeah. So let's just save money and give them one speaker behind the screen, which was what it was back then. And it was one speaker rolled up behind the screen. And that's how they showed the films. Wow. That's pretty. So when did, um, so you said it was renovated in 1987? Yeah. So when did... Uh, and it was the heyday was in 1940. So when yeah. did it kind of decline, or or was it 60, 70? Yeah, and and this okay. wasn't just Abilene. This was yeah, this yeah. was all of the world or all of America for sure. And you know, New York City in the 60s and 70s was just a ghost town. Yeah, uh, or what was there was you know crime riddled and smelled bad. Uh, yeah. But but downtowns. It was just the metamorphosis in America. Yeah, people didn't want to go downtown. They wanted to go to the mall. The Westgate right. Mall and the Mall of Abilene, which were kind of on the outskirts. Yeah. Um, they went to these multiplexes that were on the outskirts. Um, they wanted they wanted 18 movies or 16 movies or 12 movies to choose from as opposed right. to one. And so downtown's emptied out. My, my first job uh, in downtown Abilene was 1991, I believe. 
and it was about a block from you right now. Is it mm. what is now one AISD center? Oh, yes. I was a DJ at Power 103, Tony Steele in the afternoons, Power 103. Nice. And uh, from 3 to 7. <laughs> and 7 o'clock, Blaze, we'd get off work. And it was a freaking ghost town. Mm-hmm. You would walk outside and you could put your hand over your eyes and walk from Pine to Cypress. And you would never get hit by a car. You would be just fine. Yeah. Uh, and nowadays, it is just a ball to me to walk downtown on a Friday or Saturday night. And yeah. I smile ear to ear because... I've seen it. And I think a lot of people my age that have grown up or in around Abilene go, it's back. Downtown is back. But yeah. but there was a movement away from downtown in the late 80s, um, or excuse me, in the 60s and 70s. And and then the Abilene Preservation League, and I still have this document. They wrote it in 1983. And I've read it cover to cover. It's, you know, whatever, 30, 40 pages. Yeah. And it is what we need to do to bring Abilene back, downtown Abilene back. And rightfully so, they said, we. it starts with the Paramount. We've got to restore the Paramount. If that beacon can light up, that big marquee and the chasers and the neon is back, mm-hmm. and events can come back to downtown, maybe restaurants will come back to downtown. And their their hope was, we build a theater, and then we build a restaurant slash bar, and those two things open up, and then we'll see what else comes. Then things cascade after that. That's exactly yeah. what happened. Mm-hmm. It took them many years, and it took one terrific woman in Judy Matthews mm-hmm. who walked in and went, you guys are having trouble raising this money to restore the Paramount. Right. Let me do it. And they restored the Paramount. They restored what is now Cypress street station. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly you had these two little lighted beacons downtown. And if you walked around in the early nineties, late eighties in Abilene, that's pretty much it. And, and by the way, things have changed downtown. Yeah. Back then you would drive to the Paramount. You would park your car in that ghost town that was the, the in front of the Paramount. Mm. You'd walk in and you would watch that concert or that movie. You get back in your car and drive back home. And nowadays, that's not how people imbibe downtown Abilene. They sure. park at Sock Dolliger and have a beer yeah. or you know maybe a bite to eat, and then they walk over to the Paramount. And then when they're done, they go to Grain Theory or somewhere else. Yeah, you know it, it is a thing now. Downtown is a thing, yeah. and people are experiencing more than just the Paramount, and I love seeing that. I was talking to one of the judges, this was probably six months ago, uh, and he said, yeah, I was driving down Pine, and it felt like I was driving down Broadway in New York. I mean, it was just light up, <laughs> lit up and everything, and I went, well, I don't think we're there yet, but I like the optimism. Uh, it has changed, and I would say even, and obviously you're looking at it from 91, I think, yeah. I would say just over the last five years or so from downtown where it was in say 2015 versus now has just been dramatic change. Yeah. Yeah. Double, triple the the traffic in five years. I would say at least triple. Yeah. I mean, you just have so many new businesses downtown. It's great. Um, But even five, six years ago, you kind of the main ones were restaurant wise. You just had Cypress street and beehive. Um, I think Abbey House was hadn't started then, or just on the cusp. But you didn't have Abbey House, so you just had Cypress Street. And at night, you had bogies at lunch, but yeah, bogies you're at right. lunch, yeah. Right. And so it was just Cypress Street and Beehive, and now yeah. you've got a whole bunch. So it's it is getting a lot better, and I think it's obviously with the hotel, and then some some buildings that are being renovated right now for multi use and residential. I think it'll be great. So it's. Uh, Look, you're smiling. This turned into you're a whole plug for downtown, and I, no, I didn't really I'm mean it. But. <laughs> I'm absolutely a fan, and, and I hope it comes across as legit because it's legit. Yeah, I, I love Abilene, but downtown Abilene has become something, and yeah. the culture of working downtown Abilene is something that blows my mind. When I was at K Texas, you know, it's right there, literally at the edge of town. 
half of the building is in the city of Abilene and half is not. And you know, you're, it's, it's a trailer park and a skinnies out there Mm -hmm. and, and you're, then that's it. And now I walk out of the Paramount and I'm like, do I want to have lunch at the local or Vagabond or do I want to go to Bogies or Beehive or Cypress street or, Ooh, ooh, I could go to grain theory or I could go to Hickory street or I could go to sweet time or I could, and, and they're all fabulous. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just amazing. And that's lunch. Yeah. Well, and I feel like for several years, Abilene was kind of just, uh, downtown was, was coming in waves. Like you'd get like three, four places and they would survive a little bit and then they would, several of them would close and then you'd go a year or two and then another wave and then, and it just kind of up and down. I feel like we finally hit maybe critical mass a little bit so that we can sustain it and then grow on top of that. So I feel like it's not, we're not looking at a, oh, a wave of closures coming. I think it's now built up. You're 100% right. And, and, by the way, huge kudos, and I don't know all the business owners, but the people who opened Macklemore Bass across the street, hmm. or not across the yeah, almost across the street from you, and went, you know what, we're going to try to make this a fun soda shop and have sandwiches, and they really stuck it out mm-hmm. when nobody was downtown, and they really worked that in the 90s, mm-hmm. and almost made it and didn't quite. So many other people tried so hard, and nowadays, that trying is a whole lot easier. Yeah. Because you've got an audience built in downtown. It's true. My concern, and this I've had this conversation with a couple of property owners downtown, is uh, landlords ca- are mm, could be the throttle. So I say, don't get too excited. Don't jack up those rents too high, too fast, because you're going to scare off potential. And then we're going to have that wave again where we crest and fall down. So I say, several of whenever I have a client who owns property downtown, I'm always like, hey, go easy on the rent so that we can... Uh, continue this kind of critical mass growth and then you know down the road you can raise the rent without having to worry about scaring off businesses or closing them so that's been my push behind the scenes of let's keep the rent prices a little low let's not be a Fort Worth you know level so it's it's coming along but uh, I didn't mean for this my last point on this would be (laughs) (laughs) uh, so downtown really like I'm always looking at from an outsider's perspective of of Dallas or um, you know how do we how do we entice people to move from Dallas or Austin or, or wherever outside of Abilene to move to Abilene uh, or to keep our young professionals here? And it really comes down to a lot of ways in marketing to the downtown view. You have like a nice skyline, a, a city kind of identifies around its downtown and its skyline. So yeah. whether you're Fort Worth, Dallas, you all kind of look at that skyline. And I feel like um, Abilene has been missing that for a long time. And so we really haven't had that identity. You have kind of things growing, you know, up by 351, I-20. You have things growing down to uh, Tuscola. But I feel like as downtown gets stronger, uh, the identity and the kind of the pride of Abilene grows as well. And so I really feel like it's it's been good for the city as a whole, not just the downtown areas. But my next um, push has been I-20 is that, a lot of people have never stopped in Abilene. They're just driving through on their way to New Mexico or Lubbock or whatever from Dallas. And all they see of Abilene is that view from I-20, which for years was rough, rough. Yeah. <laughs> Last four or five years has gotten better. We got the Cinemark, we got the Walmart, you got the Chili's and all that kind of stuff up there. So it is getting better, but that's still, there's still a lot of rough looking area along I-20 that I hope that we can kind of do the same thing to that area that we're doing to downtown. But that's, that's my my point on that is I-20, I feel like the city should be the next 
should be the next focus of the city. Um, so when you how, so you came in at 20, 2016, 2018 is when you said you became the director? Yeah, 2018. What mm -hmm. was the condition of the Paramount at that point? Was it, man, this has been run really well and it's in great condition and I'm kind of a caretaker? Or was it, all right, it's struggled for a long time and I was brought in to revamp it or kind of bring it up? What, what was the condition when you when you were brought in? So we have to step back a little bit and say that in 1987, when that theater opened, there was nothing downtown. Mm -hmm. So, and that's a huge building. I mean, at the time that was 1,200 seats um, it, in a town our size, in a downtown that nobody comes to, mm -hmm. it took a lot of propping up. It took foundations propping it up. It, it took Preservation League. It took other nonprofits going, you know what? We believe in what this is doing. And they were propping that theater up mm -hmm. in the late 80s, early 90s. And then somewhere around the late 90s, it started supporting itself. Okay. And and throughout that whole time, from about 89 to 2018 of June, it was basically one executive director. And it was Betty Huckel. And she deserves all the praise in the world because she had to pivot she had to pivot. She came in as a young lady who was a theater person running a brand new business out of the, just trying to figure out what in the world can we do here? Mm -hmm. And she followed the template of that Abilene Preservation League document. And what we are is a weird conglomeration of everything. And there's nothing like us in Abilene. There are some others like us all around the United States, these other old theaters. Mm -hmm. But what we are is this bizarre business. So here's what we are. We are about 20% film. Um, it, it, that's what we do. And I'm not talking about the days. I'm talking about revenue. Mm -hmm. We're about 20% film. Um, most of that comes from sponsors. Uh, we are about 25% stuff that we produce, maybe 30% stuff we produce. The cabarets that we do, the musicals that we do, the plays that we do, uh, 24 FPS International Film Festival. Mm -hmm. um, that's about 25% we are revenue. And about 50%, 45% of what we do is we're a rental facility. So if you're the Abilene Community Band, we're your home. Mm -hmm. The uh, uh, Abilene Opera Association, Abilene Ballet Theater's Nutcracker, the list goes on and on. The number of people in Abilene, they all look at the theater as a different place. Mm -hmm. If you're a little girl, it's the place you go do ballet. Mm -hmm. If you're an old person, maybe it's the place you come to see White Christmas every year. You know, it is something, to, it is something different to everybody. It's Ballet Folklorico every year. It is just something different to everybody. So we're this weird conglomeration of rentals, movies, stuff that we produce. And then being a nonprofit, about 10, 15% is memberships, uh, grants, those sorts of things that allow us to try to do other things. Mm -hmm. That's interesting that... that uh we won't call it a mistake. I didn't even come close to answering your question, by the way, Blake. I know, and I was going to circle gonna back. I'm going to get back, I promise. <laughs> I was just going to say the the mistake, uh, let's say, of 1929 when they're building it, of putting a stage in because they think you know, uh, uh, silent films are going to be all the rage and that's yeah. it. And that's the reason that they put in the stage. And now having the stage allows you to do all these other things that a regular just straight theater couldn't have done, I would assume. Yeah. So you, has that been a saving grace for you? Oh, it has. Uh, you know, uh, in that restoration in '87, they made the theater look like it did in 1930. Right? Mm -hmm. When you sit in the audience, that's a lot like it looked in 1930. Same colors, same palette, yeah. so much of what they did. But in reality, when you get backstage, understage, around, you realize this place is completely different. Mm -hmm. They turned it from a movie theater to a performing arts center because that mm -hmm. was the expense 
the lights, the riggings, the counterweight system in the back, curtains that fly in, props that fly in, um, mm-hmm. orchestra shells, all of that kind of stuff. They literally went in back then to get to the, the basement underneath the stage. There was a hole in the stage and a ladder that went down and you got to the bottom of the ladder and it was dirt. It isn't that way anymore. You get downstairs and it's dressing rooms, showers, bathrooms, enough mm-hmm. to hold a hundred little girls at nutcracker time right. and tunnels that connect to the front and back that had to be dug by hand during right. the restoration. So they turned that theater. Thank God there was a stage, right. but then they had to turn it into a performing arts center. And I don't think most people understand the level of work that went in to turn it from a movie theater to a performing arts center, both. But if yeah. we couldn't do all those things, where would we be? I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. So you come in 2018. Is it, do you see your role as, okay, things are going well? And, and I don't know the state of the Paramount in 2017. So I'm, this Very is a well. broad question. Yeah, yeah. So is it, are, are you coming in, you're, you're brought in, are you viewing it as, okay, I'm a, things are going really well and I just need to keep, keep the boat moving forward? Or is this, oh no, I need to, I'm being brought in to, to re-revitalize it? It was in a good shit. It was in okay. a good spot. Um, you know, 12, 13 years before that, it went bankrupt. You know, okay. right around 2000 or so, um, there was a brief time. There was another executive director. That nonprofit was dissolved. They weren't, be, they weren't able to pay their bills. Okay. Uh, they got bailed out. A couple of foundations came to the rescue. They created a new board, a whole new nonprofit in 2003, okay. and they started over. So it's about 19 years old, the, the current nonprofit. Again, same staff. A lot of the things have stayed the same. Yeah. Uh, they brought Betty back. She had been gone for a couple of years. They, they went back, found her, and went, please come back. They brought her back, and she was fabulous. And they built that nonprofit. But as, as downtown Abilene has picked up, that theater has picked up. Mm-hmm. So when I arrived, there was a bank account. There was some money in there. That's a good start. And yeah, yeah. I mean, because who wants to go to some place that's struggling? I mean, I hate to say it, but yeah. I probably would have anyway, just because I love the Paramount. It's my favorite place on the face of the earth, period. Um, but I went in there. It, it, it was doing well financially. Um, movies really weren't making money, um, but the plays were making money, and the, renter, the renting was making money. Mm. Um, and so what I did, I think, is what a lot of managers do when you come into and take over, you, you recognize what is working well and you try not to screw with it mm-hmm. and try to keep it at the same level. And so theatrically, I have really kind of stayed away and let them do their thing theatrically. Yeah. I don't have any decision-making as far as what musicals we do or plays we do. I mean, of course that person is going to run by, here's what I'm suggesting. Great. Really? How much is it? Okay, let's do that. I don't tell them who to cast. They have, I've never once said that person needs to be in the cast. That person doesn't need to be in the cast. So theatrically, they continue to do what they do. Artistically, it's good stuff mm-hmm. that's put on stage. I continue to, to write grants and try to ask for money to support that. It continues to sell tickets. I've left that alone. The rental, the rental part, though, we've really kicked it up a notch. We've added so many things. Mm-hmm. So it's getting into the nitty-gritty, but... Um, Five years ago, you would rent the theater and you would say, I want to do a concert. And we go, okay, well, we'll rent the theater and we will make that happen. So we'll run the lights and the sound and we'll make all that happen. Mm -hmm. And we will do all the backstage stuff. We'll make that possible. And you would rent the building for whatever it was, two or Mm $3,000. And we did the rest. Well, what we didn't do is sell tickets for you. You had to find a way to sell your own tickets. Well, now we do that for you. Why not? We're there nine to five. We have a box office. We were doing it for our own events. Now we do it for others. That's added staff though. And we have added that position. Mm -hmm. But now when you come in, we don't charge you a cent 
um, to sell those tickets, but the person who buys the ticket has to pay a fee that goes to us. And that has really helped us with the rentals. And then the other thing that we do is really, we've really minded what we do as far as concessions go. It is how you operate. It is where you make money. It is where the Mm -hmm. profit margin is. That popcorn is beautiful and wonderful and tasty, but it didn't cost all that much to make. There was a lot of effort that went into it, but it didn't cost that much to make. That's where the the income is. And then now we've got this beer and wine license that we've had for four or five months. That is kicking things up a notch too. So suddenly that concert that might've made us three or $4,000 when you rented it and brought it in blaze may make us a whole lot more now. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that allows us to do one and one only thing. And that is continue to grow. So a lot of people have said, man, I, I, I dig what you guys have done and all the changes you've made it to the paramount. We haven't changed the paramount. We just added to what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So we judge our success. How often are we open? What are we putting on the stage? How many weekends can we be open and have that marquee blazing? And then who's coming into the theater? Is it everybody? And those, those are kind of the two <clears throat> Big question marks that we have and, <clears throat> and goals that we have. A couple of questions just on what you said. So um, I, I'm interested to know, so on the, you said the ticketing, you guys added a fee on instead of charging the ultimate um, customer, the person who's putting on the show, yeah. renting the space, instead of charging them, yeah. you, you include it in and you, you add on a fee to the end user and they paid in that way. You guys make a little bit of money. Which is and, everywhere, and they, by the way. That, that yeah, fee is yeah. absolutely every ticket you will ever buy. How did you guys, was, was that the norm? How did you guys go about it? Because you have two options. Yeah. And let's say you obviously haven't made the decision at this point. And this is where for business owners, it's easy to look back at other businesses and go, oh, well, clearly they did this, 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 because they're seeing the end result. But before you've made the decision, and you're, you're weighing those options and you're having those discussions of, oh, do we charge the person who's renting the facility? Do we add this on as a as a extra fee? Are the customers is going to bulk at that? Do we just eat the cost? What was that discussion? How'd you guys arrive at that? Was it, Hey, everyone's doing it. We're just going to add it on, see how it goes. And Oh, it actually went well. So that's what we're going to do. What was the discussion? They were already adding the fee. So, you know, if you were bringing in the concert blaze, uh, and you were sitting there going, I'm going to bring in this concert I'm going to charge 20 bucks a ticket and I'm going to charge a 10% fee on top. You were already doing that. Hmm. It's just us doing it now. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, so, it, it, but how did we come to the decision? Well, we, we came to the decision to do it by educating ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, the first thing I did when I took over is started going to the conference every year. I mean, you know, whatever, whatever role you have, whatever world you're in, you know, there's a bar association that you can go and learn more about your field. There's a league of historic American theaters and, and it's a whole bunch of other theaters like ours. There are these old buildings that have been saved by a city, a municipality, most are nonprofit and most, a lot of them aren't maybe 40% aren't They're They're, they're, they're municipal or they're for profit. Hmm. Um, but you go in there and you learn best practices and you sit through every single year you sit through best practices and, and you realize what the things that you're doing, the things you're not. And one thing I realized is we literally were the only one that weren't offering ticketing services to those who came and it cost us. So, mm. um, it, we were getting calls and turning down 80 to 90% of wow. concerts that were wanting to come through because wow. they would go, how much is it? And we'd say, it's this much to rent the building. And they go, it's a great rate. Sounds great. Who does your ticketing? Oh, we don't. Mm. Hang up. They, they were, and then finally, I, I talked to one of them. I said, why is it that you didn't go through with it? And he goes, can I be honest? And I said, yes, that's why I called you back. <laughs> and he said, 
because I don't want to bring somebody down there and have to do ticketing. Right. You need to offer that service. It doesn't matter what you charge. It just needs to happen. Mm-hmm. And so that's really been a, 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 a game changer as far as bringing in concerts because it's allowed that to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and we really started picking up in 2019 and then something happened in 2020. I'm not sure what I it was. I forget what. Yeah, yeah it's a bad weekend or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah. it, it all stalled and stopped. Yeah. But um, that was the ramp that we started making in 2019. And we're just mm-hmm. now picking it back up. Okay. You mentioned earlier on that same point, uh, the beer and wine license. Yeah. I have that later in the questions, but since you brought it up. How was that process of, <laughs> and I know Haley Joe just talked about going through the process. Now she's a for-profit business and, and whatnot, but and that was less on the beer and wine part. So yeah. different different issues. But as a brewery, we had to go through that process. Sure. And, uh, you know, and I know the other brewery owners and everyone's had their own little experience, some good, some bad, some are, yeah, it just happened. And some were, man, this was the worst experience of my life. How was your, how was your experience going through that? First of all, I have no background in this. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, you, you talked about my old jobs. I was in the media for many years. And yeah, I had 27 employees under me at K-Texas, mm-hmm. but I didn't do those sorts of things. You know, I wasn't dealing with the, the FCC or anything like that. I was just managing my newsroom. Right. So suddenly getting thrown in and having to do, dealing with the government is difficult. You know, I've had to apply for SBA grants during P- the pandemic, PPP mm-hmm. loans. That was me. Um and dummy me went, you know what? We've got a real opportunity with a beer and wine license. Let's go do it. And the board went, yes, that's a great idea. Let's go do it. Unanimous. Yeah. And then now you had to do it. Uh, <laughs> but I'll tell you where I started. Um, well, we put it up in our, our window in 20, no, 2020, February of 2020. Okay. Uh, and then it came down three weeks later. Because right. I went, oh, hey, pandemic. We're not spending <laughs> this money in outlier right now. We don't yeah. even know when we're going to open again. Yeah. Um, and then we, we put it back up in the window uh, late 2021, and I, I made a call to Haley Joe. Did you really? Because I had seen on Facebook, she talked about what a nightmare it was getting her <laughs> beer and wine license. Wow. So I bought her lunch at the local and picked her brain for an hour and a half. And, and isn't that great that you can do that? With, yeah. And you can go, hey, can I pick your brain? Yeah. She got two tacos out of the deal yeah. and I got, you know, a wealth of experience and she was happy to share it. Um, but yeah, it was, it was laborious. It was difficult. Um, the state of Texas, uh, there's nobody. The people here locally are awesome mm-hmm. with the TABC. Yeah. They are awesome to deal with. I mean, absolutely phenomenal professional. But they are enforcing rules that are a bit old school. Yeah. I, I, one of my board members is from another state, and uh, we were talking about, I don't, I don't know how many hours I put in doing it. I don't know how many hundreds of pages it was mm-hmm. of filling stuff out. You know. Yeah. You did this. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, it is so fun. <laughs> Um, but she's from another state and she said, yeah, it was basically a two page application. All the board members signed it and we sent in the 500 bucks and the state gave us the license a week later. Nice. And this was nothing like that at all. For Texas that prides itself on being business friendly. I feel like alcohol wise, we, we didn't get that memo as far as a state wise. It is very 80 to a hundred years old kind of rules and regulations. And it's this, blue these laws. are the hoops. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's, the, it's leftover blue laws. You know, when I was yeah. a kid uh, you come to Abilene, to, you know, I was from Colorado city, you come to Abilene to go shop in blaze. And there were two Kmarts. There's one on the North side, and one on the South side. This is before Walmart. You know oh. why there were two Kmarts because of blue laws. So one was open Saturday through Friday and the other one was open Sunday through 
because uh, they bo- because you had to pick which day you're going to be open, Saturday or Sunday. So you knew which right. Kmart to go to on a Saturday and which Kmart to go to on a Sunday. Nice. You know, dealerships are still that way. There's blue laws out there for car dealerships, uh, or at least they were recently. I'm not sure, like in the last year, but uh, car dealerships aren't open on Sunday. That's blue laws. They uh, can't be open but one day on the weekend. So some of those blue laws are still on the yeah. books in the South, in America. And, and of course, uh, yeah, I think some of that is uh, liquor laws that are still hanging out. As bad as they are right now, uh, the, the alcohol laws have actually gotten better over the last, say, five, six years. And yeah. I was talking to one of the TABC officers, not here, I said, why has it gotten better? Because they were, they were saying how bad it used to be up until, let's say, five years ago. And they said it's because so many attorneys have now, on the side, opened uh, breweries. And those attorneys are now dealing with these laws and going, no, 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 no. And so there's been a massive push among that group of, of attorneys who are now plugged in. And so they're basically doing it for free for themselves. But for free now, all these attorneys are are, are updating all these laws and pushing for it whereas previously the small breweries didn't have the money to pay all these attorneys to do it and so they just they just weathered it through and so now as these attorneys because i don't know what the numbers are like 40 or 50 percent of small craft breweries are owned by attorneys or they're involved with it as part owners and so there's been a massive is that because you attorneys drink a lot is that what that is you know it's just a merging of uh (laughs) why am i paying this bar for beer when i could make it and make some money off of it it. so it's just uh taking that beer love to another level yeah yeah um but any tips on the on the process? So you had you kind of went in with no knowledge as a yeah as a director owner. Um, of, okay, we're going to get a beer license, beer and wine license. I have no knowledge of it, and going through that process to the end. Any tips to the owners out there listening? Of hey, do this first, or this. I wish I would have known this before I went through this process because it would have made it a whole lot easier if I had done this. Any any thoughts or tips? You know. Have some faith in yourself that you're going to get through it. Uh, and it's always I, encouraging when they start off with this. Just believe that you're man, going to get through it. It was so daunting, and and it kept me up so many nights. Mm. Uh, and also, when we went through it, they had just gone to electronic like weeks before we went through the process. Yeah. So there were still some things that weren't working exactly, sure. and I couldn't see the next forms that I was going to fill out. Uh-huh. And you you have to you have to time these things out. Yeah. So you have to go through the process and you have to time it out so that we notify. I mean, we're, we had residences living close by. We had to inform everybody at the Wooten that we yeah. were, and it had to be done within 28 days of the submission. Uh, we had to run them in the paper. The three days in a row in a paper. How draconian is that? You have to you know, yeah. run an ad three days in a row in a paper. Keeps them in business. I, I guess so. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, like if I put that on Facebook, more people would see that, right? Right. It's weird. Anyway, but that had to run three days in a row and that had to be within a set window. So it really was worrisome to me. Like, am I going to have to redo this? You know, this was up in my, it had to be up in my window for mm-hmm. a certain number of months. It all had to time out right. right. And I couldn't tell when it was going to, I didn't know what the next document was going to say. You need to get a signature from Greg Abbott. Right, right. I had no idea. And you have to wait 90 days. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And I'm sitting there going, geez, are we going to be okay? But we were. Uh, And you just had to have faith and you'd submit that document. And then the next one comes open that you had to work on and you just sweat it out and get done with that one. If you had to ballpark it from start to finish, like the first day you sat down and filled out whatever the first document was to the end of like, all right, we can sell beer and wine. Ballpark, how long was that time? For those owners out there like, man, I'd, I wish I even had an idea of how long I'm, I'm looking at. Was it two months, eight months? Ooh. 
from the from the resubmission, not the yeah, pause yeah, one yeah, before the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was a lot of months, um, and I, I will tell you, I don't, I'm not the fair one to judge. We're the only mm-hmm. nonprofit in town with a beer and wine license. That's right. You told me that. That's, That's it. Right. It's just us, and I yeah. know why, uh, because we don't have. <laughs> you know, when it's you, and, and if you're the sole owner of that brewery. Right. It's just you signing off on the ownership thing. Mm-hmm. We have 17 owners. They all had to go through background checks. They all had to submit information about, I mean, you've seen that question yeah. here. Yeah. You know, I so, mean, literally, have, have anybody in your family ever been convicted of sexual stuff? Yeah. It's or, all these, Or alcohol right? uh, offenses or anything like that. So it was all the board members. Every single board member is an owner of that bar. Oh. Not me. I'm the executive director. I'm not technically on the board. Right. So I'm not an owner of that bar. Those 17 board members are. Huh. And that's interesting. And they all had to fill it out and they all had to go get information. And, you know, one of them wasn't born in America, yeah. uh, is now, but they still wanted that INS number from 30 years ago mm. when they first came over. Well, they're like, I've got that in an attic. I don't know how many hours they had to spend going to the attic with their husband trying to find that number because right. they've been a citizen for decades. That is an interesting, yeah, obviously it's easier if, you know, for me applying for a brewery, hey, I know if I've had alcohol-related offenses or not. And right. if I've, you know, if I've got a felony for X, I know I'm not going to apply, even start the process. But that would be a an interesting prospect if you've got a board of 17 members and it changes you know, whatever Every year, year. year. Yeah. And so you yeah. could have someone who comes onto the board who doesn't realize, Oh, I've had, you know, uh, alcohol related offense or whatever. That's going to prevent that. How do you know how they address that of, Oh, you've got one board member out of 17 that had this, this offense that would prevent a normal person from getting the license. So they say, well, it's only one of 17. So you're okay. Or that was a, they got to get off the board. Great question. Uh, oh. We didn't run into that. I okay. mean, our 17 board members apparently were all angels and nice. everything was great. Nice. Um, well, they were angels. I mean, they put up with a lot <laughs> to get that done, <laughs> you know, and I need to preface everything that I've said and everything I'm going to continue to say, uh, at least about the successes of the paramount. I can't, I can't go write a check for $2,500 right now Mm. without going to get somebody on my board to co-sign that. Mm. I can't make an expenditure that wasn't in the budget without that board approving it. So this board, these people are active. We've always had a quorum at every meeting we've had in the five years that I've been there, four and a half years. They show up. I mean, the attendance rate's got to be close to 85, 90%. They show up, they're involved, they ask questions. Um, there's tons of committees that they're involved with. They're volunteers at our events. They're taking tickets. Um, I mean, they're really phenomenal, but they're yeah. part of all the decisions. And all of our success is due to that board. Hmm. All of it is. I mean, that's the great thing about a corporation, whether it's nonprofit or for profit, is it is about those leaders. Right. And we have to have the right leaders. But you're correct. The next, unfortunately, come March 31st, there will be three or four people that roll off the board this year. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have to get three or four more in. And they're going to have to be okay with running a bar. And they're going to have to be okay. We're going to have to be okay with their pasts. Yeah. Well, and so is, that's an interesting uh, uh, point. So for, let's say, charities, EDs out there for the future, if they get their beer and wine license, just looking at a practical level, so you have a rotating board moving forward as part of, let's say, the questionnaire for oncoming uh, board members, potential board members, 
will that need to be a question of, yeah. hey, we have a beer and uh, wine license. Do you have, uh, you know, a, a, an offense that would prevent you from uh, having a beer and wine license? And if they say yes, then they're not allowed basically on board or they have to withdraw kind of thing. It's that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, ultimately, I, I, it wouldn't be me. It would be the board chair's decision. But that's right. what would happen is the board chair would have to reach out to the person and go, look, I, I know you were we were excited to have you on the board, but. You know, we, we submitted the stuff to the TABC and they yeah. didn't accept it. And then you would have to ask for their resignation. Again, I don't see that happening. Right. But it's a possibility. And, you know, right now, I, thanks to all these people that are involved in these boards, that are on, involved in boards, because right. they're putting their their reputations, their time, yeah. their money on the line. And there's conversations that, that you have every time there's an incoming board member and you say... You know, and, and I'm on boards too, and I donate money when I'm on the board. I'm a member mm-hmm. of, of my organization when I'm on the board. I volunteer when I'm on the board. And those are kinds of questions that are asked. So it's, yeah. you know, we don't say that you have to give, you know, a thousand a year uh, to be on the board, but you have to donate something. Even if it's five bucks, you have to be, you have to have skin in the game. Right. Um, so these are questions that are asked now. Are you willing to, to be a donor every year, even if it's a small amount? Mm-hmm. Are you willing to volunteer once a year, every year? Uh, and are you willing to come to the meetings? And now, starting in March, that's going to also include, are you willing to put your name on the list and be a be an owner of a bar? Because that's part of it now, too. Right. Was that something you guys knew, I guess, last point on this, uh, something you guys knew going in as a board, hey, this is will be an ongoing issue, yeah. and, and they vote, yeah, okay. Yeah, and, they, and this was a... Eyes wide open, right. honest discussion with the board. And they, they asked a lot of great questions. All right. And they came to this decision amongst themselves that, you know what? We want to do more. We want to be more at the Paramount. And this is how we do it is we participate in what's happening downtown. Right. They're going to the local and having a margarita. They're coming over there and watching, you know, uh, breakfast at Tiffany's and they want to have a glass of wine before yeah. they go out again. Yeah. We need to be part of the evening and, and this lets it happen. I like it. I like it. Um, on setting goals as a nonprofit, you touched on it a little bit early, way earlier, but then we got sidetracked with beer and wine, but uh, setting goals. So this I've dealt with, with a number of, uh, of executive directors and boards and whatnot of, of it's easy as a business. Well, maybe not easy, but it, it's easier as a business where, Whatever your business is, your typically your goal is increase profit. I yeah. want to increase take right. home pay, and that's that. You know how I get there is a different you know um, different thing. But at the end of the day, I want to make more money than less, and that's the ultimate goal as a business. Nonprofits obviously depends on the pro, the nonprofit's mission and what we're doing, yeah. serving, etc. Um, and so you have a lot more flexibility, but I think that also leads to a lot more boards and executive directors. And I'm dealing with with this very issue on two different charities that I'm on the board for. Mm -hmm. And so it's very on my mind of how do you figure out and set your goals as a nonprofit? Because it's not just, all right, we want to make 10% more in revenue this year or profit. Um, Each charity is different. And so I'm not, I'm less focused on the actual goals of the Paramount, but I'm, I'm more interested in how do you guys discuss and figure out and come to the, these will be our goals, kind of the back end of that. What would you say? Well, I mean, it's budget time. I'm a big fan of the budget process. Mm. That's where you put your, your filter your focus. And you say, if these, if this is what we're going to try to do this year, Mm. then the dollar amounts that I pick 
the expenditures that we want to do, they all need to be filtered through that. Mm-hmm. And our goal has to do with our mission statement. It's right there, you know, for everybody to see on our bylaws. And our mission statement is to protect that building right. and to inhabit it. I don't, it's not worded that way, but it's to put stuff on stage, open the doors and let people do stuff. That's what we are there for. So how do we measure our success? And our goals are how often are we open? Mm -hmm. How many people are walking through the doors? Um, If we make revenue off that, that's great. Obviously, we want a nonprofit. I think I've heard people say before, well, your goal, you you don't want to make money. Well, no, you that's (laughs) of course that I mean, we're a business. We want to make money. We want to be able to continue to put money in our endowment. We want to continue to pay our employees. We right. would like to have them have some better wages over the course yeah. of time. Have maybe health care or whatever correct. insurance. Yeah, who Those knows? are all goals yeah. that you have. Um, so, of course, we want, to, we want to bring in revenue to the business. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, we also do stuff that we know is, is going to lose money. Right. I, you know, the 24 FPS International Film Festival is coming up mm-hmm. in, in November, I think, 3rd and 4th. I have that on my list to discuss, so I'm glad It's you great, that. Yeah. but we don't make any money off that thing. Mm-hmm. We're going to end up showing 27 films, short films, uh, and there's going to be a small audience that comes to see it. It's been mm-hmm. doing that way for 20-some-odd years. But those people deserve to have that programmed for them. Right. And again, we sit there and go, our audience needs to be everybody in Abilene. Well, those artistic folks that want to hear what's going on in the world and see these artistic forms, they mm-hmm. need to have a place in a venue. So we do it, even though it loses money. Mm-hmm. But there's got to be a balance there of, well, we can afford X. Yes. And so, okay. You so better make it, it somewhere down. else. Right. You're darn yeah. right. Okay. And so you sit there and go, well, where are we going to make, where are we going to make the money? Right. And you have to, you know, our summer family film series, we charge $2 a ticket. Yeah. We're never going to make money off that. In fact, I would say over the course of those four films, we probably sent a little bit more to the movie companies than we took in, 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 in uh, tickets. Hmm. But we had sponsors. We had a grant. Um, and, and people understand, you know what, especially the business community, you know what, if if we give them money, A, we're going to get some advertisement off the deal. Right. I mean, let's be frank. We have ten to 15,000 people are going to come see a film at the Paramount over the course of the year. That red curtain parts, and they see the Lawrence Hall symbol and hear your hometown dealership. Right. That's a bit of an advertisement at the same time sure. that it's also a thanks to a wonderful sponsor who is donating to a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Um, but the business community also understands, as well as those, those, those foundations and donors, that $2 ticket is bringing in and allowing other people to come that wouldn't otherwise come to the theater. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of that. There are, you know, there's a group of six people that come in. They were able to get tickets for $12. They couldn't go to the movie theater otherwise. Right. So what is the the film festival? If you did like a one, two minute like explanation, what what exactly is it? Yeah, so it's, it's 20, it's it's nine uh, nine films each, each screening. There's a screening at, at I believe, 7.30 Friday night. 2 p.m. Saturday, and then again at 7.30 Saturday night. It's about two, two and a half hours, maybe two and a half hours. Uh, you screen the nine films. It's in 4K. It looks great. Uh, they're usually put in some sort of um, uh, uh, theme. Each okay. one is a theme. Uh, and they tell a story. These films, when the, I think I judged the second or third one way back 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. I was a judge on a few of those. And, you know, they were submitted by people in Abilene and, and, and Dallas and San Antonio. And then it got bigger and it was national. And now 
I, a big majority of these are going to be from Iran and Afghanistan and China and Spain and hmm. all over the world. There's Academy Award winners and nominees in there. Okay. Um, it's really, there's some fabulous films that you're going to see. How have you guys, uh, I mean, that's obviously great advertising and promotion for the Paramount as well. And it yeah. puts, and it's great for Abilene as well. It puts us on the map, which, which is always good. But how did you guys uh, grow that? Like, how did it go from, all right, we're just kind of getting Abilene film submissions to now we're, it's an international film festival in yeah. every sense of the word. The internet. Internet. Okay. I mean, you know, you think about where, where the internet was 23, 24 years ago, and it wasn't the same. And now there's these film highway websites and a filmmaker goes on there and they go, okay, I can access these 30 film festivals and send them off to these film festivals mm -hmm. uh, and do it easily from there. They've got a digital file. They pay the admission fees or ours has no admission fee. And that's literally right. thousands of movies that our film director has to watch. Thousands of movies that our film director has to watch. Just let that sink in. Uh, and we weed them through and, and screen the top 27 of them. But they're able to submit a whole bunch more than it used to be. Right. You would sit there and go, okay, great. Now I'm going to put that on a VHS mm -hmm. and I'm going to stick it in a UPS package and mail it to another country. That's a different sort yeah. of level of involvement. That's great, though, that you guys are going through. Th you have the option of going through thousands. I mean, it sucks yeah. going through <laughs> yeah. them, but yeah. <laughs> it's great that you have the option. Um, on... So early on, it was just film submissions, roughly here in Abilene. You said Dallas, maybe San Antonio or whatnot. Yeah. Speaking on that, and so uh, this is not a plug for the, the, the new project, um, but how do we go about growing the local film industry to a level where we, even if it's just high-quality commercials or short films that are being produced here or you know, I feel like McKinney over in Dallas has a great, randomly has a great film little scene and they film, you know, LA, Austin, you know, national commercials there. Yeah. I think uh, Weatherford may be on the up and up on that as well or something, something along those lines. How do we, uh, in practical terms, if you could think of one or two practical things that we could be doing as a, as a city to help either kind of found or really grow the film industry here? What, what are your thoughts? Well, on we that? have a, we have a development corporation that is active Mm. Uh, that gets th things done. Uh, my goodness, they get things done. And I think if a company, if they can identify that kind of company mm. and help them bring them in, that's one thing that would work. And I, right. and I have no doubt that, that if a film company or something was looking to relocate here, they would work their right. tails off to make right. that happen. Uh, I'm, I'm not a part of that, but I, right. I do know those people enough to know they're, they're rock stars. They're go-getters. They are. They're go-getters. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, that's a real obvious answer, but that's, mm. all, that's all I've got. Right. I, I mean, okay. to be Nothing frank, Saturday night, uh, we st Beyond Star Films produced the movie Dangerous Ones. And I have that on my list, too. 325 people showed up to see that film. They hooped nice. and hollered. It looked great. And, it, and probably 75% of that film was shot in our area, or at least within mm. a county of us. 25% uh, was shot in Manhattan, but the rest was shot here. And it looked great. I mean, it looked professional. What was the length of that? How long Two hours and 15 minutes. It was okay. a, a real movie. So a real movie. So I have this on my list. And so since you already brought it up, uh, how did that happen? Can you, one, tell the people what, what that is? Yeah. And then how it actually came about. So there's a film program at ACU. Uh, and, and it's not a major, but it's an intensive focus. Mm. Uh, and they've got professors that are teaching film. And they're, they're into what they're doing. 
And sometimes students go through there. They may be theater majors. They may be art majors. They may be, you know, computer science, whatever. But they really focus on that film uh, aspect. And there was this guy named Rankin Dean who came through. Uh, I'm guessing he's, you know, give or take 28 or 30 years old. Uh, And when I started at the Paramount, I remember he was like a senior and they were like, man, this kid is good. Mm. The people at the Paramount were saying his films are good. And they were good. I mean, he was a student and putting out great stuff five years ago. Mm. And then he went out on his own. He moved to L.A. He learned more about the business. And he is putting out quality work. And he's just getting busy. I, I have to say this. I was a part, I was in that movie. Mm. And um, I was blown away with the organization. These, these are kids, basically. They're late 20s, early 30s. I'm sorry. I'm 50. I get to say that. <laughs> I get to be crotchety old man. But they were so incredibly organized and professional. I mean, I would get an email before my next shoot, two days out, this is what you need to wear. Mm. The, you know, These are the changes to your script. This is the location. This is the time you need to be there. Here's what we're going to have for you. Do you have these items from clothing? Do we need to provide these items from clothing? This is the makeup that you need to have or not have. This right. is the gate code to get in. There were reminders and follow-ups. And mm-hmm. it was, and then when you show up and there's somebody from costuming, there's somebody there working the cameras, there's a director, there's, there's somebody out there making sure that there's food and water for everybody. I mean... It was just really stunningly well put together. Hmm. And you sit there and go, these guys have got it going on, man. Uh, uh, and yeah, they're local. I mean, he's not, he lives in LA, right. but he's from Ab- or he's from Colorado City. Okay. And he graduated from ACU and he's got that local connection. And he, he was able to find a ranch to shoot on because he's from here, you know, and, and that nice. brought him back to Abilene. So if we produce our own people, that can answer some of that question right there. Uh, well, that, and maybe that's the how do we how do we um, find or make or grow kind of help help along more of those kind of guys. If you have any thoughts, like how do how did how did he come along? Was he just kind of a uh, a random little star, and he just kind of made his own way, and that's yeah. that? Or is there a way that we could say, hey, this guy made it, and he did this way? If we put more resources or funding or or whatever help helped in some way maybe we'd get three four of those every two years is anything come to mind that we could be doing better about getting better filmmakers here you know i i think that acu does a good job with that film program i'm, I'm kind of blown away uh, a they're teaching them good stuff but b they're making them feel special mm. so when their senior projects are done they will rent the theater at the paramount have a red carpet event i went to that one this yeah week. they'll yeah. scroll they'll, they'll screen the movies up there they make them feel special um that's a way to identify them and and show people what can happen mm-hmm. that's good i don't know that i have the answer to that question blaze okay. but i will say this and who do you interview on there other than me? You interview a lot of really talented business people who have made their way in this world. Mm-hmm. How did they make their way? They found their way. And, and I mean, there's something to be said for that. This kid found his way. Mm-hmm. He is, he's got all the gumption to go out and do it. Uh, and more power to him. Same thing though with Haley Joe and, and the guys at the right. shed. They just went and did it. Now, granted, they might not have done it at 25. The guys at the shed waited till late in life. I heard that podcast. Right, that was right. fabulous. But I don't know, man. I, there's something about Abilene that that I love, and that is that we identify those people ourselves and we promote them ourselves to some degree. You 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 go to that barbecue joint when it's good. Right. You mentor people. I mean, we all have mentored people in this life. 
that means something. Now, those aren't really answers to your questions. <laughs> no, but, that's but, fine. But this is a good place to grow up in that way. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. On the on the script for Dangerous Ones, did he write it? Did he have a friend who wrote it and he was like, I'm going to direct the hell out of this? What? Yeah, well, he's a writer. He, he yeah, wrote it yeah. and directed it? Yeah, he's he wrote okay. it and directed it. Now, now I, and he talked about this in the after show talk. Um, it'd come to an action scene and he would write, you know, excuse my language, she kicks his ass. That was right, the whole right, thing right. in the script. Well, you know, of course, and it's a two-minute action scene. So right. he had a, 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 a director on set that was in charge of those stunts, okay. and that person would block that. Kind of like a choreographer or something like that. That's the best in. way to look yeah. at it, yeah. Okay. So they would work with the actor and go, okay, now, no, over there, you grab that plate, you throw that plate at me, then I'll right. do this, and they would work it out. And so did he direct that scene? Not really. That scene, you know, in reality, somebody else. Right. You know, it's a team effort. You know, when you direct a show or a movie or anything else, it's a team effort. What would be the uh, 30-second if you were doing a trailer for it? I know there's... There is a trailer there, for it. For those <laughs> listening who haven't seen the trailer, what would be the 30-second uh, trailer for it in your voice of like, this is what the movie's about? How would you hook them? What, what's, the, what's the one, two, three sentence? Well, it, it, somebody comes to, to, to Abilene, to the big country, okay. to get away from life, take a break from New York City, uh, and things really are going the wrong way real quick, real quick. Okay. And uh, there's a surprise ending. Surprise ending? Yeah, and okay. people really dug that. I, it was really, fa- the, the applause at the end was pretty amazing, and everybody said the same thing, loved the surprise ending. Where can they see it? I know it's on YouTube. No, 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 it's, no, not. it's well, not the trailer. YouTube. Yeah, the, Tra- trailer, maybe the trailer's on YouTube. That's the trailer's right. on Facebook. Um, Dangerous Ones, it's on IMDb. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's easy to find. His last film, um, it went through the circuit. It went to whatever it was, six or seven film festivals. And then after it was done, it was streamed on Amazon. And you can still rent it, okay. his last film. Okay. So you can go on Amazon right now and look it up, rent it, buy it, whatever you want. This mm-hmm. one right now is going to it two film festivals in Texas uh, late this month, early next month. I'm not sure. It's like December, October 29th through November 10, the Orlando Film Festival. It will be screened in Orlando, downtown Orlando. Okay. And that's a big festival. Yeah. Um, so that's Good pretty time. awesome. It'll get screened there. Yeah. Sometime after it's done the film festival route, then, according to the director, it gets put somewhere. So it may be that some distribution company wants to purchase it mm-hmm. and re-edit it or just put it out. Or it could be that it goes out on Netflix, purchase it or right. Amazon prime or whatever else. Um, but at the very least, this one will probably get streamed on Amazon again, able for purchase because okay. he was able with his last movie to make enough money off rentals and purchases to fund this one, which again, uh, well, a week of it was shot in New York. Yeah. Wow. So it's good that I have you on the show now before you're Famous. blowing up and yeah, famous and yeah. a big deal. And, I'll thank yeah. you from the Academy Award yeah, night. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, I'll forget, wear my Dickies tux. Forget your parents and your loved ones. <laughs> you thank me. Blaze Reagan, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and then just walk off. That's it. <laughs> I love it. All right. Um, we, I have several other questions. I'm, I'm looking them over uh, just to see so we can wrap up because we've been going for a while. Let me just ask two, three more questions, and then I'll, I'll let you go. Um, now that you're, you've been what four four years at least as an executive director, and obviously with your background, what uh, tips would you give to other executive directors out there? Because they're dealing with uh, not just fundraising, but their mission, managing and hiring employees. Mm-hmm. You're dealing with a board. You're dealing with different aspects of a business. But I mean, it's 
it's quite um, can be a quite of a daunting task. Any tips or like, man, this has really helped me get through that you you recommend to other executive directors? Make some friends with other executive directors. Okay. Uh, and it, it, the, the network is really pretty phenomenal. And the, the Community Foundation of Abilene mm. puts us together sometimes. There'll be events for just for executive directors where they can, you know, learn about HR or whatever else. It's a right. great way to meet other executive directors from, from, from nonprofits. It is a unique position. Now, granted, there are a lot of nonprofits in Abilene, um, but it is a unique position and you need to make friends because there are questions that you need. How yeah. do you deal with the board? How do you deal with patrons? How do you deal with grants? How do you deal with taxes? These are all different questions that aren't widely known. Right. So make friends and you'd be surprised. People are willing, willing, just like Haley Joe was to meet about the TABC. Yeah. People are willing to give you their time and expertise. And Cynthia Pearson with the Day Nursery has offered mm. me advice more than once. Christine Curtis Carr with you, those yeah. those uh, Abilene Education Foundation. Mm -hmm. Those nonprofits are nothing like the Paramount, but they've been incredibly helpful. Laura right. Moore and Vicki at The Grace. Now that's a lot more like ours. And they mm. have been incredibly helpful. You know, we, we sat yeah. down there and, and when I first started, there was no employee handbook. And I said, very we, need a, we need an employee handbook. Yeah. And they went, well, we've got one. And I said, great. And they said, ours has been approved by a lawyer. I said, great. Can I have it? And they said, sure. So being able to start with another nonprofit, artistic nonprofits handbook yeah. and go through there and change. Sometimes some of them are just easily changed us from the grace to the paramount. Right. And a lot of it was done for our people. Yeah. But we were able to go through there and then meet with the board and get them to approve it. Biggest shock or hardest thing coming in? Because, correct me if I'm wrong, you hadn't been an executive director before. Oh, no, no, right? no. So this is first, yeah. what was the biggest shock or the hardest part? You're like, man, this is, I, I either hate this part or I struggle with this. Maybe you don't anymore, but for that first year or two, you're like, wow, this is the hardest part of my job. And it's so funny because at the time I would say it was the hardest part, and now I would say it's one of the easiest parts, and that is dealing with the board. Mm. Because I've never had to get permission before. It's always been, you know, these were for-profit companies and it was a money-based idea or mission-based right. idea. And here are our goals. We're going to go do it. And now you have to have buy-in. And I was, and I was concerned because you mm. never know when, when, uh, you know, when, an, when a board is going to support what you're doing or a question. Yeah. Now, granted, I've been lucky. A lot of the questions have been like, what, you want to put what decoration where? Well, you know, I mean, I, I don't really have a strong opinion on that. But, yeah. but I think they've seen the vision on a lot of things mm. and gone you know what? I, this is the right direction to go about adding more concerts, about yeah. adding a beer and wine license, about, you know, adding staff so that we can do more things and be open more often. And they've seen the benefits of that, too. I, I can see some, again, in my dealings with being on on the board. I've obviously never been on the executive director side, but uh, I've seen different executive directors struggle with um, that fine line of am I am I advising or su making suggestions yeah. to the board or am I kind of leading the board or, you know, am I the, the, the energy and the focus and the drive and then I'm pulling the board with me or is that not my role? And really the chairman of the board needs to be doing this and I'm kind of submitting proposals and the board says, yay, nay. Yeah. And that struggle seems to be the hardest in interacting with the yes. board from a board side. Anyway, you, you're correct. Yeah. And, and it's fr from the board side too. Like yeah. I, I'm on boards, I'm on a couple boards yeah. and you go, well, we, Ultimately, though, there are times when you have to have a strong vision and sell the board on your vision. Mm. And there are times when you really want their opinion 
And, and so we, we picked those times and everything is run through the executive committee. Everything is run through the chair that we have a lot of conversations with the chair. Here's right. what I'm thinking. And they'll be honest. If you get a good chair, they'll be honest and go, yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah. And, and you need to hear that um, because they can be a bellwether for the rest of the board and what the board is going to think on a subject. Yeah. Um, but ultimately the board that we've had, we've been so fortunate. A, they're involved, but B, they, A, they want to say something and that's, the thing you need most from an executive director, you want their opinions mm-hmm. because that lets you shape yours and it lets right. you shape what you're what you're doing with the staff, what you're doing with the budget, what you're doing as far as growth. All of those things need to be shaped by what you hear from the board. So yeah. I, I think sometimes boards are too quiet uh, and we're lucky that we don't. And I tell you, I, it was really interesting. Some of those things can be fixed as simply as how you seat people at a board meeting. During mm-hmm. the pandemic... All of a sudden, we were meeting via Skype. What? That's not a really the best way to, or not Skype, or whatever it was. Zoom. Zoom. Yeah. It's not really the best way to, to elicit conversation. And then when we came back, we were in the theater, but you know we would space people. So we would you know have every other row, and they sat in the seats, and then we put the chair up on the stage. Uh, well, that's great for a meeting to listen to somebody, but it's horrible for conversation. Right. Then you put them in a square where everybody's seated equally and facing each other, and you ask for opinions and you get opinions. It's a good point. That is a very good point. Um, yeah, I I had a thought about the, the board. Well, what I was going to say is some of the executive directors, uh, the, the advantage that I feel like charities have over a regular business is their board. And that you set like a, a regular business owner out there, whether they're selling makeup or cars or whatnot, they don't have 17 people in a back room that say, hey, I've got all these connections and all this expertise and we've been here yeah. and we've done that. Those business owners don't have that. Whereas these executive directors, if they've got a good active board, you have got the 15, 17 smartest, you know, brains Isn't in the, the back truth? room and they're yeah. going to give you all their expertise and money and time. And so it's a huge resource that a lot of, I mean, a lot of EDs do take advantage of that in a good way <laughs> and some, you know, don't. And so that I would say is, is a huge resource. Just, just to quickly prove that point. One of our board members, uh, we were talking about marketing, and, and, and she said, you know, my job is we send out uh, direct mail for Broadway theaters in New York. So, I mean, having that person on the board who go, yeah. well, I don't really know what we should do advertising-wise, their hand may go up occasionally, yeah. and they may have really astute ideas on how things should work marketing-wise. And you're correct, man. Having that in the room is amazing. Yeah. That is that is nice. Um, two last questions. What is the best thing about Abilene that we are doing better than Dallas, Fort Worth, or Austin? Kind of what what are we doing better? And I'm kind of looking at it through a through a lens of how do we keep young professionals here? Mm-hmm. And so, what are we doing right now that's better? than say Dallas or Fort Worth that we could tell someone who's in Dallas or Fort Worth, or let's say they're up in Ohio or Montana, considering moving to Texas. And we go, Hey, you should consider us because we're doing this better. Don't move to Dallas, move here. What would you say? I don't know that I'm a, I don't think I'm smart enough to tell you about Dallas and Austin, but I can Mm -hmm. tell you about San Angelo, Midland, Lubbock, Mm -hmm. Odessa are similar sized towns because I do go there and I do see what they have. And I think, 
when you're talking about comparing us to same size or similar size towns, right. that I can comment on. Yeah. And I can say the biggest difference is quality of life here is pretty outstanding. We have universities. We have a, a, an Air Force base. Mm-hmm. That brings a different feel to what's happening. But also what we have is a thriving art scene downtown. And that matters to some people. To some yeah. people, it doesn't. They want to watch the Cowboys on the weekends. That's fine. But right. there is a section of audience, and it may even be in your same household. Mm-hmm. You know, the dad may want to watch Cowboys on Sunday and the wife really wants to go to that play. Right. We've got it going on. You go to these downtowns and some other similar size cities, they are they are business oriented only. That's fine. Offices, buildings are great. Right. But you walk downtown here, there is there are bars, there is there are breweries, there are restaurants, there are museums, there are I mean there is so much going on downtown. Mm-hmm. I, we have a thriving scene arts-wise, for our size city. Right. And and I really do think that makes a huge difference over, you go to Midland, it's, it's just office buildings. Yeah. And occasional restaurant. Nothing wrong with that. But, but that is our advantage, I think. It's a good point. That's a great point. Last question. What can we as a city, what can Abilene improve on in a, in a good way? So I'm all, you know... For me, I always like critical feedback, whether it's the brewery, whether it's the show, whether it's law firm, whether whatever it is, I always like critical feedback. People think, oh, you're being mean or whatnot, but critical feedback is how we get better. And so I try to ask all my guests, what what can we do better? I love Abilene. We're getting better, as as the shirt says, as many people say, but what could we be doing better in your, in your opinion? See, I'm the wrong person to ask this. And I hear you ask this question. I love that you <laughs> asked this question in your podcast, please. Mm. Uh, and I think you've gotten some great answers. Uh, and I'm not being political when I say this. Uh, I don't have anything to offer. I'm a fan. I'm a cheerleader uh, for this town. I, and, and I'm not... Uh, don't get me wrong. There are things that we can do better. I'm sure. I, but I don't see them because I am such a positive person <laughs> that I'm always looking for the good. Would a better way of saying it, and, and this may have the same answer, but what do you go to Dallas or Fort Worth or Austin for? that we don't have here that potentially we could have. Is that a is that an easier way to kind of view it of yeah. what are we what what are your people going to Dallas what are you going to Dallas for that we don't have here? Anything come to mind? <laughs> occasionally the Broadway touring series. <laughs> okay. Uh, occasionally a concert or a sporting event. Okay. Uh, that's pretty much it. Okay. Uh, I don't get out of town nearly enough. And when I do, it's vacations. You know, we're going on a cruise, we're going to LA, we're flying right. to Vegas, we're going to New York. I, I, we are not the people that burn the roads up between Dallas and Austin. Right. We spend our money here. Right. I kid you not. We spend our money here. Uh, don't get me wrong. When Book of Mormon comes to Dallas, which it does every two years, <laughs> right. I am sitting there with bourbon and I am laughing my butt off at that at that musical. But okay. in general, I stay here. Okay. So really, it's perfect as is. Wouldn't change a thing. I, no, 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 <laughs> not perfect. But I'm a fan. And, and I have legitimately thought, because I knew that question was coming, because mm. I hear you ask it. Right. And I have legitimately thought to myself, huh, what would I change? And I don't have an answer. Or it, it would have to be changed and proof upon. Maybe, and it may just be that Abilene downtown keeps getting better and better and growing, yeah. and we get more things oh, no, variety-wise downtown. Absolutely. Yeah. I, this is the start of something. Mm-hmm. And yes, we talked about this early in the podcast, that we have triple the audience or number of people downtown that we used to have. Yeah. And I can show you, by the way, a graph of where we are movie-wise in attendance uh, 15 years ago, 18 years ago, and where we are now. And it is just a nice little solid line going up right. every year. And that yeah. isn't because movies are more popular or because you know 
Karate Kid is more popular now than it was 10 years ago. It's only because we're not picking better films. It's because there are more people willing to come downtown and more people that are coming downtown. But yeah. yes, to answer your question, I'm excited, but I'm excited about the prospect. We still have a ways to go. Right. We absolutely have a ways to go. And that downtown hotel is going to make a difference. Yeah, I think it opens, what, next fall? I believe that's correct. Or spring? Is it spring? I don't. I actually haven't kept up with the timeline, but it's looking good. Yeah. I will. I think it's, was it seven stories, eight stories? Something like it's that. It's right next to you guys. I see it all the time. I, yeah, every yeah. day. It is looking. I love anything that changes the skyline of Abilene and, and keep adding those towers, but that's ego of me. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway, well, we'll end it there. Thanks, George, for Thank being you. on the show. And uh, for those listening, you've been listening to Reaganomics with Blaze Reagan, a show focusing on practical business talk and common sense politics. Thanks for listening.